And I offered, I said, okay, I will drive you in the evening. I'll come here. I'll sit and wait for her until she finishes classes and I bring her back home. The husband said, no, she can't. Welcome to Immigrants Wake America. This is a podcast where storytellers share their family histories and the centrality of women in their life stories. I am Lily. And I am Shruti Jain. Today's episode is a special one. The conversation will be facilitated by Dr. Lisa Yen, Associate Professor in the Departments of English and Asian American Studies, Binghamton University. Our guest today is Gareti Mugamba. We hand over the space to Dr. Yen and Gareti. Hi, I'm Lisa Yen, and I'm really happy to be here and happy to interview、uh, Gareti Mugamba. She is originally from Uganda and settled here in upstate New York. She is a case manager for immigrants, refugees, and asylees who are settling in this area. So I'm excited to hear about her experience and also about her own journey to the U.S. So, Goretti, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be part of your project. Um, how about the 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 cases that you're working with here at the American Civic Association in Binghamton、um, as an immigrant case manager? What are some of the the incoming cases? Yeah, you know,、uh, previously I was a, a refugee case manager. That's when we were resettling so many refugees from different parts of the of the world. But currently, that program stopped. But when the Afghanistan there was problems in Afghanistan. We tried to help the churches that were resettling them because the churches could do it directly. So currently, we have some. There are some families from Afghanistan coming through the churches who sponsored them that we are being part of and helping.、Uh, though they haven't come yet, we have. You know, I think we received only one family so far. Right now, we are still waiting for you know for the clearance from、uh, the immigration department.、Oh. I really admire the important work that you all do here at the Civic Association, and especially you. You've been doing this work for many, many years. Yeah, I've been doing this work for ten years now, almost eleven. And I know many people come to seek the services here. It's a lifeline for them. They come for the English classes. Um, I know numbers of people come to、uh, get assistance for their families. What are some of? The, I wonder if you could share some of your past experiences,、uh, perhaps starting with your early work with refugees. Yeah, so my early work with refugees, as I told you, they are from Iran, Iraq,、uh, some from Russia actually. I mean, some of the Ukrainian refugees came from Russia, some from Burmese. So the first thing they do is to try and learn English. So immediately they come. We have to register them in English classes, which are offered here at American Civic Association. And of course, it's a struggle. Then there's a struggle in the family who goes to, to to the classes because it's husband, wife, and ch- children. Of course, are registered in to go to school, and、uh, they you know it's up to the husband and wife to decide who comes to classes. But some of the families, through their culture, they didn't want their wives to come to classes at all. They have to be accompanied by male, or they, you know, they just don't allow them to come to classes. So it was a struggle. Some of the sound, the women really, really are very good. They know the 
they learn so fast. Some of them would come with, you know, both husband and wife, especially when they have kids, all of them are going to school. But if they have little kids, of course, they, they you know, the whole Lord comes to the woman to stay in the home and take care of the children. One family in particular, I remember very well, I asked them, I offered them because the woman was really bright. She was a teacher in, the, in her country. And I offered, I said, okay, I will drive you in the evening. I'll come here. I'll sit and wait for her until she finishes classes and I bring her back home. The husband said, no, she can't. I have to be there. Then another one said, well, if he goes to class, my, my, my son has to be there with her. And of course, the son is a young teenage man, young man. And, you know, it was so she decided, said, you know, I'm not going, don't worry. My husband doesn't want me to do it. So she never came to classes. So there are a lot of challenges for them and also for you and you're assisting yes. them and helping uh, them to settle. And I'm I am very curious about what you mentioned about the particular situation or challenges for the women um, who are selling here, for example, trying to get English classes and also at the same time bearing the heavy load of uh, being primary caregivers for their families. What are some of the other challenges if we could continue to, uh, you know, talk about your experiences with women in particular what are some of the other challenges that you faced the other challenge we faced like most of the families actually and i mean the women had reached a point where maybe they don't want more children and they said you know i've had enough and they see the struggles here i mean when they come to america the culture is quite different because at home they have at their home they have support children have someone you know a, a relative who will come and take care of the children and, uh, you know, for her to do other things. But here, they are just on their own, you know. They, they're just in the house there with the children and the husband, the husband, you know. So some of them don't want to have more children. But the husband will not lift a, a hand, said, you know, you know, they want more and more children. So one lady in particular, she told me that she doesn't want to have another child. If I have another child, I'm going to die. So I said, okay. So she came here with her daughter, who had now, you know, who was in school, and so we were translating through the phone. You know, I say this, this she taps it in, and then she understands what I'm talking about. And she was really serious. She really wanted, she didn't want more children. So I took her to family planning, and I said, so if they give you contraceptives, what, what, how are you going to take them? Why are you going to say, oh, don't worry, I'm going to hide some of them, and you can keep some of them here for me. I'll, I'll, I'll come for them. So that's how we did it what you just shared with us is such an eye-opener. I can't imagine that people who don't do this kind of work um, would even, you know, think of, uh, of some of the experiences you've just shared. Mm -hmm. And um, perhaps, you know, you could tell us about, or I would like to know, what happens when, when these families first arrive to, you know, the, the, when they get to, let's say, the airport? So when these families arrive, First of all, we are given the arrival dates where, you know, these things come from Washington, the central office in Washington. And then they send us that, you know, first of all, we accept resettling these families in the community. So then they send us all the bio, they are everything. Then we have to look for a housing for them. So we have to find an apartment or a house, and then we have to furnish those apartments. The money the government gives you is very little. If you use it, if you use it all, 
the family won't have anything. So we, we tried our own best to find, we found some, some, we go in the community, find some people who, who kind, kind people who offers furniture, who offers things, free things, of course, we're looking for free things, you know, just furnishing a house so that, you know, like an apartment ready to move in when they come here. And then they have to go shopping, buy bed, bed sheets, buy towels, buy supplies, you know, so because, you know, when they come to the house, they have to have food ready, you know, cultural appropriate food. If you are from Ukraine, we have to find out what the Ukrainians eat and we have to uh, find some people in the community if they can help us prepare that meal. Or if they are from Iraq, we have to find Iraqis who can help us prepare this meal. The meal has to be their own cultural meal. So we go to the, I used to go to the airport myself, sometimes alone, sometimes with a colleague. But whatever time the plane comes, I have to be at the airport to meet them. So if they have an anchor here, a family that is helping them, I go with that family member. We go to the airport. That helps a lot if they have family members because in the language, you know, no, no one speaks English with them. You know, few words here and there, but you know. So we go to the airport. We pick the family. I remember picking the family at around 2 a.m. and it was snowing. So they come here. You take them in. You take their papers. And then you drive them to the family or to the house where they are going. You sit down with them to make sure they have eaten and you have to eat the food with them. So we sit down, we eat the meal, we leave them there. The following day, we have to bring them back to American Civic to do registration, to take them to the Department of Social Services, to know the, the children, to, to register school, children in school, you know, all that work. I'm really inspired by hearing your stories, Gritty. And I admire your commitment. Um, you're really the face, you, you know, and the many others who are part of this um, community who reach out and support, you know, newcomers. Um, you're the face of our, of our community. And I'm just so, I just want to tell you how much I admire it. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to take the opportunity to ask you about your own journey. So I imagine your past also informs your decision to go into this kind of work. Yeah. So, you know, when I came, I came through, it, you know, through different countries. Uh, you know, when I started, I was alone. I didn't have responsibilities, but I just wanted to run away from my country. I, I, I hated my country. As, you know, I, I, I still do. I love my people. I love the family members. I love the, you know, the culture. I love everything about my country, but I don't like my country because of what politicians have done to this country for, for a long, long time. So, but anyway, I left. The reason I left was my brother-in-law was shot and killed in front of my sister and had three children. My my brother-in-law was a dentist, a doctor, and he had had a meeting with the government people and told them, I said, you know, how can you want, because they were talking about protecting doctors, protecting because doctors were being killed in my country at that time. So he told them, said, how can you protect doctors when doctor, you don't protect the people we want to treat? I said, the first obligation for you people is to protect the people. They didn't like that. So the informants in the meeting went and told the bosses, and that night they came to his house, dismantled his car, 
the, 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 the phone was, you know, they took off the wires, entered the house and shot him in the hip, you know, the joint where he couldn't stop bleeding, even if they tried to stop bleeding. So my niece was about eight or six, eight. So she was trying to count how many people were, were, were in the house and they shot her too. They shot her in the leg and they left. So my sister was crying and crying and, and of course tried to use the phone. They couldn't use the phone, had to walk and reach somewhere, get someone to help her, call a brother, a brother who was far away to come and take them to hospital. Actually, he died at the gate of the hospital where he worked. And I was so, 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 and, you know, I, 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 I had that hatred. I said, you know, this country. Is, you know. So I told my sister, I'm leaving. I said, you know, I'm going. I don't know where I'm going but I don't want to live here anymore. So I left Uganda, I went to Kenya, stayed there suffering. Kenya was not an easy country to live in too, though it was my next door neighbor. Then from there I left, I went to Nigeria. I worked in Nigeria, I went to Nigeria, you know, worked there at the university as a secretary. And uh, the meanwhile, you know, you work on contracts, the contract finishes, they don't want to renew it. I don't want to go to Uganda. I, you know, where do I go next? And during that time I had a child, I got a baby and here I was. But I had friends who are from Rwanda and they were experienced with refugees and how to immigrate, how to apply for things, how to work. So they told me, said, you should apply to go to Canada. I said, how do I do this? So they told me what to do, but they left and went to Canada and left me in Nigeria. And, and then uh, as God will have it one day, I used to work for the, the, the bus of the university. And uh, one time there was an ambassador who came to the university from Canadian embassy. And this, I had talked to friends whom I told them, I said, I want to leave. I want to go to Canada. I once said, the ambassador is coming. You should go and meet him. Maybe, maybe he can do something. <laughs> so I went and met the ambassador. So I, I, I met him. I shook his hand. And I said, you know, I'm interested in immigrating to Canada. I said, you why? He said, okay, this is my phone number. This is my card. So after that, the rest is history. I got to, I you know he went back to the to the embassy in in, in Lagos uh, within a within a, a month I had from him and said you know application has been approved you need to come to register in the embassy you know that process so we went to with my daughter was she was about two we went to to the embassy or registered it it, it goes on and on for, for for some for like six months or so but you know all my focus was okay. What life is it for my daughter? Where do I take this kid to grow? I don't want her to take her to Uganda. I don't want to stay in Nigeria. Where's, where am I going to take this daughter of mine? So we left We left uh, Nigeria. We went and resettled in Canada. Canada was a heaven for me. I love Canada very much. And But it's a struggle too. You're a single parent. You want to go to school. You want to do this. You want to do that. I couldn't do those things because I couldn't leave my daughter alone in the house. Anyway, I had friends from, uh, from uh, Kenya uh, who was a professor at BU, and he knew my dreams. He knew that I wanted to go back to school. This I had met him in Nigeria, and uh, so I explained to him, I said, this. he said, well, if you apply to the university and you're accepted, you can come and live with us, with myself, my wife, and his wife is my friend too. He said, you can live uh, with us, and, uh, you know, as long as you can pay your school fees, you know, your tuition. 
So I applied to BU, I was accepted. And then uh, he gave me, I worked on campus. I had a, I had two jobs actually on campus. I Some I had, I had actually some, I had three jobs <laughs> during summer. I, I worked uh, uh, in the print shop. I worked, I painted domes. Those, those, some of those Binghamton University domes, I painted them. And uh, I had that job. I had, I had three jobs and then I worked in professor's office. So that's how I managed to pay my tuition at, at BU. Then at the same time supporting my daughter because she was in, at that age, she needs nice clothes, nice shoes, nice this and that. <laughs> but, you know, you sacrifice everything. You said, well, I have worn enough clothes. You know, I don't need more clothes. <laughs> what I have is enough as long as she's happy. She's, you know. So that's how I came to Binghamton. And then my daughter went to Howard after high school. She did. And I'm proud to say she's now a doctor and Lisa knows her. Oh. <laughs> so that was my journey here. But I'm still here in America because my daughter wanted to live here. We came, our plan was I finish school, we go back to Canada. But it didn't work that way. Uh, uh, she said, oh, I, I have made friends here. I don't want to go to Canada anymore. I want to live here. I said, well, I'm just the life for you. You want to live here, you live here. I will, I will stay with you. <laughs> so, oh, so your daughter, Maria, Maria, yes. she's a doctor. Um, and I know she has uh, been on the front lines during COVID. Yes. Uh, really, really incredible uh, important work that she's doing. And, and you also continue to work and support people through this time. Yeah. Um, have you passed on or shared any of your Ugandan cultural practices with her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I said I don't, I, don't, I don't like my country, but I like my culture. Culture is very important to me. So in my culture, you know, when you are born, you are given a name and you are given a pet name. So we have pet names and uh, there are 12 pet names. I have, and they, you know, my pet name is Akiki and there might be another Akiki there. But in my household, I'm the literal Akiki because a grown up, you know, is more and more, you know, we, we respect people because of their age. We don't go back, you know. And we don't call them by name. We call them by pet names. You can't call. My daughter can't come and say, hey, Aunt Lisa. No, 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 no. Aunt Lisa has to have a pet name, which when you call her, oh, Aunt Akiki, Aunt Awoli, Aunt Amoti, you know, and then you, you, you do it in such a way that you, you have to bend down a little bit and they have to touch you or they have to acknowledge you. And uh, anybody who walks in the door, you have to know their pet name. If you don't know, you just ask in whispers, what's her pet name? Who's her boy? Is that issue? So because you don't want them, you don't know my pet name? You know? No, you don't, you don't want to be disrespectful. <laughs> so, so my daughter has a pet name. Her pet name is Atwoki. And that really makes her so proud, makes her feel that, yeah, I'm a Ugandan. You know, I have a pet name. You know, that's what I can talk about, pet names. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I know um, just how much you have dedicated to Broome County and also the fact that you have another job too, besides yes. um, uh, being an immigration caseworker here. What is that? So, you know, I, 
So when I got a master's in social work, but during my that time, I was working as a part-time working with people who are, you know, people with the developmental challenges, developmental difficulties. So I was working there at night and go to school during the day. So after I, I, I finished my master's degree, then one of the managers there asked me, said, why don't you apply here for a permanent job, you know, as a, as a social worker? And, and said, really? Say said, yeah. So I applied there. I got a job as a behavior specialist and uh, full-time, that's five days a week, and, with, you know, benefits. Then a friend of mine, Andrew, was he had offered me a job here. He said, you know, we are going to resettle refugees. Would you? And I was looking for a second job because I have student loans. I have, you know, expenses to pay for. So the, that that work which I'm doing now, even now, is not enough for me to pay my student loans, pay, support my daughter, do all kinds of things. So, you know, you know, sorry to say, but jobs in social work, they don't pay a lot. They pay very little. So I work with people who are mentally handicapped, mentally disabled, and uh, uh, I like it really. It's challenging. It's, I write their programs and they supervise houses and they live in group homes. I support them in every way I can. And that's my, my first, actually it's my first job. And this, I call this my first job too. They are all my first jobs. I love them. Yeah. Already, you touched so many lives. I, um, you, I don't know if I could keep up with you. I don't think I could. <laughs> wow. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your time. I'm just so glad that you were willing to share uh, your experience. And also, I appreciate very much you sharing um, a bit about your own journey um, and how you left your country and eventually, as a single mother, uh, re-migrated multiple times and arrived here. So um, thank you, Goretti. And I guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk again, right? Yeah, I really want to thank you for having this interest in uh, refugees and immigrants because you know, most of us are immigrants and refugees. People don't understand their stories. They don't understand our stories. They think it's just a name it's, you know they, there's a person behind you know these type, these names and whatever. but i'm so glad you have taken this interest and i thank you so much all thank right you. well thank you to all the listeners thank you 